Hello, this is Danielle Freitag with Jenna DeYoung, Real Talk Podcast, encouraging faith and inspiring restoration, sharing tips, tools, and talk. We're exploring a biblical worldview that empowers and prompts faith in action. excited to be back and um, just want to say thank you too. We had over 12,000 downloads um, in seven months and just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Again, we started just to process 2020 and um, it's really been incredible um, what what God has done with this podcast. And so um, our most listened to, most um, downloaded episode was preventing the sexualization of children. And so we could not think of a better guest to have on. Um, so I really just want to, you know, use this time to introduce you. Um, most of you are going to know who he is anyway. Um, we're so excited to have him on, but before, before we hear from him, I just got to say, um, so, so Benji Nolo, um, of course, as many of you know, is the founder uh, CEO of Exodus Cry, um, abolitionist. Uh, but b- before that, he's a father, he is a husband, um, and he is also a filmmaker. So he's uh, done a couple films. And I-, I would love to hear about the most recent film. Um, but Benji, just want to basically hand it off to you. And um, thank you so much for, for being on. I mean, anything you want to start with? Otherwise, we have a ton of questions for you. No, thank you. I mean, it's an honor to to chat with you guys. I've known you for a while now, and I, I'm I'm just yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to be on to have this conversation. So yeah, awesome. I know you've been busy. Yeah. I mean, are are you guys doing another? Are you, can I ask? Like, are you doing another film, or is that top secret? Yeah, no, we yeah we are always you know really busy in the realm of film making. Um, we we feel felt called to this, you know, back in 2007 to start telling the story of human trafficking. I just didn't realize at the time how that it's, it's to tell that story is really a mosaic because there's all these, these different pieces and they all kind of intersect and overlap. And so, um, so I feel like it's, you know, my life's calling to tell the story of human trafficking and all of its complexity and all of its layers. And that has us working, you know, around the clock now for, I guess it's been almost 15 years. So yeah, yeah definitely. And you guys, I mean, nefarious, uh, oh my goodness. I, re- I remember the first time seeing nefarious at the one thing, um, conference. And I'm trying to remember what year it was when you guys kicked that off. I want to say it was, oh my goodness. I, I 2011, 11. Okay. 11 yeah. or 12. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember that one, the, the film was it liberated after that. And now your most recent film, oh my goodness, um, raised on porn, which we, mm. we want to talk about with you. Um, I, I, I'm curious, could you, there's so many questions. Could you talk about, <laughs> could you talk about the relationship between, um, the sex industry? So the commercial sex industry and um pornography first can we start there sure yeah sure um that's a great place to start i i think you know for me when i was first kind of awakened to the knowledge of human trafficking in the world my mind did not like immediately go to to pornography that just 
wasn't uh, the, I guess, the impression or the the what human trafficking was portrayed to me as. It was, um, you know, people being abducted and put in cages and you know things like that. And so uh, when we set out to make nefarious, you know, we we started with that projection in mind people who are captured and put in cages. And part of our journey of making nefarious was discovering that, you know, that is one aspect of trafficking, but there are many faces of trafficking. And so really it was for us a, a, you know, a, a journey down the rabbit hole of uncovering and unpacking like the layers of, um, of trafficking in that we started to see how there was some overlap with pornography. And I'll give you an example. Um, <clears throat> one, one thing that happened is we were in Amsterdam and, um, and I noticed that in the red light district of Amsterdam, that they actually have pornography of, you know, it could be of the women in the windows or just pornography in general, but they were, passed out to people in the red light district to advertise the women to them to, you know, sort of market these women to them. And so that was like, and, and we also saw that in Las Vegas and other red light districts around the world. So, so that was, you know, the first thing I think that was like, huh, this is interesting. Like the use of pornography to advertise, you know, and market these trafficked women yeah. and um, sexually ex- you know, commercially sexually exploited women. And, um, and then we also, as a part of kind of the uncovering of this issue, really start to see the role of demand in the whole larger equation. And so, you know, obviously for those of us in this space, that's, that's common language. Now we understand that, but at that time, I, I mean, I, I, I don't even know that I had that term in my head demand. Um, I just thought there are people who are trafficked, but, you know, then we start to realize, oh, this is supply and demand. And, and that, so we started to talk with male sex buyers with Johns. And what we discovered is that in every, with every John that we talked to had a history of pornography use. And so it started to become clear that pornography was fueling, shaping, um, the, the desires and sexual appetites of men and compelling them to seek out illicit sex specifically to perform, you know, whatever fantasy it was that they were imagining. And so that, um, that was the second, I would say kind of overlapping reality where we started to see how pornography was, was involved with this larger world of trafficking so we went to Southeast Asia. We discovered that young girls who were being trafficked there were intentionally um, conditioned and trained for the exploitation they would be um, forced to endure through pornography. So the traffickers were using pornography as a way to train these young girls on what to expect and what to do. Yeah. So that was like the third thing. And then the fourth thing was that I started to do some interviews with people who were actually in the porn industry. And one of them like really just 
grabbed my attention and it was, I guess, just a, a moment of like revelation and realization, seeing past the veneer mm. to the deeper truth of what's really going on. I think like, I don't know that most people sit around thinking what's going on behind the veneer of porn, but we sort of suspect that like something's kind of not right here. I mean, like, you know, like there's five dudes and one, I mean, like, yeah. something's, something's, something's not right here, but I, I just never thought of, you know, what life could be like in that industry until I started interviewing people in it. Well, one pornographer said this to me, he said, he wanted to explain to me like his process as like, you know, how he gets the girls to do the things that they do. And I think in a way he was sort of like proud of like this very uh, coercive, manipulative way that he would lure girls and seduce girls into performing certain sex acts. So what he said was that he would call the girl up and tell them, Hey, I've got a scene for you. And he would describe it as some vanilla sex scene and say, you're going to make, you know, a thousand dollars or $2,000. And he said, I do that intentionally. So they spend the money in their head before they ever get there. So he wanted, so he explained to me that he wanted to plant this idea of like this money that they're going to make. So they go, Oh, I can, I can go pay my rent and I can, you know, I'll actually afford my car this month or, you know, whatever the situation is, that's money is like going out. So they get to the set. And then he said, we start the scene. It's a vanilla, vanilla sex scene. He says, and then halfway through, I'll change the script. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to do this totally other. It's going to, we're going to turn it into a gangbang or we're going to turn it into, you know, uh, some more hardcore aspect of sex that they didn't sign up for. Yeah. And then, and then there's this pressure because you have everyone there there's the pressure of the people, all the emphasis now on the girl, like, we're all going to go along with this. Are you so, and then, and then also like, and if you don't, you're not going to get paid. And now she's had to pay for, she's had to pay her model apartment. They put them up in these model apartments so that, you know, stack them in like sardines. Then they have to pay the driver, the agent. She's so she's already on the hook for however much it costs her to go be a part of this $300, $400, whatever it is. So now she's not only not going to have that money to spend, she's going to be out. So then he says, um, he explains, you know, how he does it. He changes the script to coerce them into going forward with the scene. And then he said, and then he looked up to me and he said, so how is that not trafficking? So he was aware of the aspect of coercion that is the backdrop for how most of mainstream pornography is being made. Yeah. And even, you know, this idea that they'll tell you in the porn industry, oh no, we have, we have our list. We have our no list and our yes list. And we have, you know, it's all above board and they'll tell you these things. But the reality is, is that the mainstream porn industry is driven by the agents because they're the conduit between the producer and the actress. And so you're, you know, the performer. And so, um, so if she goes and says, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. Well, he's never going to book her. So there's inherently coercion built into it. 
Yeah. And not only that, but these agents have also been found complicit in coercing girls to then uh, escort on the side. Oh yeah. So they'll yeah. be running a separately an escort business. And it's like, so now there's, there's pressure to say yes to all these things that you would never say yes to, or else you're not going to get work. And then there's pressure to work in the escort company or else you're not going to get work. And so it, it's a whole spider web, but the reality is that it's all, it's all an element of coercion mm-hmm. of trafficking. The person with that has this idea that like, Oh, I'll just you know, go in, I'll be this independent entrepreneur. It just doesn't work that way. There's too many predatory gatekeepers of the porn industry. And it's, um, it's just, it's just rife with exploitation and, and trafficking. So that was the the fourth area. I mean, I'll I'll let you jump in here. I've been going for a while, but just, I just want to say one thing to to wrap this up. Mm we are coming out with a documentary in the spring in uh, like March, April, that is um, specifically about the porn industry. So you mentioned raised on porn. That's our documentary about how porn impacts consumers. Yeah. But we have a docu-series, a three-part docu-series coming out that specifically addresses the porn industry. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's entirely interviews with people from the industry, producers, performers, all that. And, um, and it's a, it's a deep dive into unpacking that whole world in a way that I think will shock most people. And it is, you know, disturbing, but I feel like really important for people to understand what's going on behind the veil. Absolutely. So good because it can connect somebody to the humanity Mm-hmm. Of, of that person, whether it's the, the, the woman who has been groomed, um, into this exploitive industry. I, I can't mm-hmm. wait to see that film. And, um, we're going to talk about raised on porn here in just a little bit, but there's just so many, um, things that you, that you shared that I just want to touch on just for a moment here, um, because we, we want all this time to be yours. Just, um, so good to hear what you guys are doing. Um, you know, one of the things you said is how the, uh, producer stated that he attaches a a money, you know, a money Mm -hmm. value and here she's already thinking. And, you know, for me, it, it brings me back to what it was like, even just entering into the strip club industry. Now I know the strip club industry is different than in in essence than the, the pornography, but they're very, very much, as you know, intertwined and connected and I'll never forget the first time that I went into the strip club, sat at the table. I was with the guy who brought me in. Uh, the manager was like, you know, came over to the table, looked me up and down. Oh, you'd make a lot of money here. You'd make a lot of money, you know, talked about the money. Mm-hmm. And I just, I remember being in the industry and, and some of the women engaging in they were, I mean, they were doing pornography on, you know, on the side, there were invitations for such, you know, we'll start you out in the hustler magazine, you know, do this first, you'll make money. It's glam. You can get on the cut, you know, get in the, get in the mm-hmm, hustler mm-hmm. magazine. We'll, we'll send you to our sister clubs, but, but, you know, a gateway to, as you, as you know, Benji, a gateway to the pornography industry. I mean, it is strip clubs, exploitation in general. Um, And there's, like you said, there's such a grooming factor there. Um, So I wanted to to touch on that, but then 
you know, also this, this film raised on porn, um, it makes me think of the, the women who've gotten into that place, you know, and I can speak from a perspective of having um, experienced some of the exploitive industry, but I always think, you know, what was it that happened in her life, you know, um, that, was a part of her being in this, right? Because again, right? I always say like, no little girl just decides she wants to grow up and and be in porn or be a stripper. Um, there's typically that grooming factor. And something I've shared in a, in a previous um, podcast before, you know, my very first uh, view of sex was from a hustler magazine. Um, and it was, you know, I mean, that was like my first um first view of first understanding of, um, and that, you know, the story goes on from there and I won't go into all of that, but it does make me think of the grooming factor. And I value so much what you guys are doing. And just because it it is, it's going to connect people with the humanity of that person. Like, you know, these girls have stories. There's, there's abuse involved. A lot of times there's drug addiction. There's, I mean, this is trafficking We're we're talking about sex trafficking. This isn't just some glam woman's life. You know, um, what you're doing takes, like you said, the veneer, it takes, it takes off the mask. Um, and yeah, oh, just so many things. Jenna, do you have anything you want to chime in on? And then I've got, we've got a few more questions for Benji. Want to talk about raised on porn, but anything? Yeah. Well, I just wanted to say thank you, Benji, for the work that you do. Um, I remember when Danielle and I met, you know, quite a while ago, um, I heard about sex trafficking through Danielle and I had never known mm. what it was. And it was actually when I watched uh, the movie Nefarious that that's what gave me a heart for it mm. because I had no idea. Right. Mm. And then I remember um, Danielle, actually, I found this. Danielle gave me this oh, wow. audio, Honoring oh, wow. the Love of God. And it was just this season of me just like learning about it. And I remember I was going to buy shoes, like for an outfit, I had an event or something. And I was living up in Minneapolis and I had like put this in my DVD player in my car, not really. And I remember I was gone for however long this video was. And I remember sitting outside the shoe store and I couldn't get out of the car. And you had shared that testimony of the woman that was found and scriptures were written on the walls. And I just remember Mm. sitting in my car and just weeping. And I remember that testimony like has never, you know, left me, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I, I never even got shoes. I remember I just like wept and I went home and I just cried, but it was, it was the place where then I sought God, you know, and then he gave me this heart. And it's part of the reason why I believe action 169, our ministry is even birthed even here today, why I'm even, you know, a part of something, you know, that God's doing in the earth. And so I just wanted to say, thank you. And I love how, you know, it can bring sons and daughters together, right? Like a daughter who experienced it, a daughter who has never experienced it, come together and fight for justice in the earth. And so I just want to say thank you. Um, and you're making such an impact, but Danielle, you can go ahead and thank you. No, I'm just like, I can't believe you're bringing up shoes because the quick little story here, the Lord had me bring a bag of shoes to the one thing conference. And I, I, he, he like told me to bring him to the Exodus cry table. I didn't know much about Exodus cry. So I drop off this bag of shoes mm. and this lady was like, oh yeah, this gal that, that 
works with Exodus Christ. She was talking about Helen, right? Yeah. Did this exhibit about, about the stories of women and she was collecting their shoes because <laughs> I had this like profound dream of these different wow. people, right? People made in God's image, body, spirit, and soul with their different stories. So like, you know, when God tells you to do That's something, cool. even if it's weird, you just do it. So it's interesting, Jenna, That's you were cool. talking about, you know, the shoes, you know, yeah. So yeah, anyways, I, I love it. I, I wanted, I want to jump back. Um, can you talk about raised on porn and, um, we'll talk a little bit then about the protect children, not porn campaign. Um, but yeah, there's such a connection here between what you started with. And then obviously the, the film, uh, the, the, the brief, uh, documentary raised on, on porn, but can you talk about that Benji? Yeah. Raised on porn tries to quantify porn's impact on consumers. And so we do that through the use of first-person interviews, interviews with um, professionals and experts, and then um, and then using cinematic reenactments and animation um, to create like a powerful and compelling visual experience. So it's a very like tightly cut film. We wanted to make it a consumable length so that it could, um, you know, do well as web content. So it's 37 minutes long. It has, we've only, it's only been out for a couple few months and it's already got a million views on YouTube. So amazing. Pretty, I was going to, yeah, pretty, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It, it's people are, are, it's, it's very accessible and we tried to keep it tasteful given the subject matter so that it could be accessible for more people. Um, and, and, um, and even younger people, like I, you know, I let my 12 year old watch it with, you know, parameters and stuff and gave him some context. But um, yeah, I think that, you know, the film is important because it really sounds the alarm on the devastating impact that porn is having on especially children who are growing up in today's culture where it's so accessible and, um, and how it is really sabotaging their own development, their sexual health, um, their mental and emotional well-being, and and um, and so, I think that's important. Sounding that alarm is important. You mentioned the campaign. The campaign we're doing, protect children, not porn, is insisting and demanding that age verification walls be put in place for anyone that's hosting or distributing pornographic content. And that the age verification wall would be like, you have to put in a government issued ID, not just click a button and, and have a, a credit card. You know, there would have to be like a, um, a barrier to entry. Like there would have to be like a vetting. And um, it seems so straightforward. It's like, why hasn't that been done? But, you know, the internet is still relatively new and there's time. There's time for us to make a change and to set the wrong things right, if you will, and create a better future for our kids, one that is not inundated with exposure to pornography at, at such young and tender ages. So um, so yeah, so we're we're super, we're super proud of that film and, and really happy to see people like watching it and sharing it and commenting. And, and we encourage, you know, all of your listeners and viewers, um, it's on our Magic Lantern Pictures YouTube channel. And it's just free and anyone can check it out. We'd love to hear your comments and your feedback as well. So, yeah. And it's so, so well done. Um, so yeah, definitely listeners. And I know we've, we've got some people on Facebook here to, um, check it out. 
Um, again, it's called Raised on Porn. And I just, I want to read a couple facts, stats that come um, directly from the Exodus Cry page. Um, and one of those is in the minds of many children, sex and violence are already fused together thanks to porn. Um, pornography is um, much more, I, I want to use the term violent. It's it's much more um, it, it, just different than it was decades, decades ago. And of course, so much more um, accessible. And of course, we live in this world of technology. And so uh, we know that, I mean, youth as young as 9, 10, 11 could be younger, um, but 9, 10, 11 are uh, stumbling upon seeing images of pornography, maybe it's on Instagram, maybe it's, um, you know, TikTok, whatever it might be. There's so many different um, um, avenues out there. A um, couple other things is the average age of first um, perpetration of sexual violence is 15 to 16, 15 to 16 years old and is associated with exposure to pornography, right? Because where where are these young minds learning these things? It is definitely um, connected with um, with pornography. And so Benji, um, I, I have one last question for you and then Jenna's got two more and yeah. then we'll, <laughs> it just seems Let like we have so many Let me just piggyback real quick on something that you just said. Yeah. Because, yeah. You know, people, I think, especially for those of us that have been a part of this movement for a while, you know, we, we have this, this idea of pornography that's, that's getting out now um, to the wider culture that this is that you know pornography is is not just this um you know exhilarating sexual experience or whatever that it is damaging it's it's created in ways that are damaging to performers but i think it's important to say that you know it's we're not just like saying pornography bad pornography bad pornography bad yes obviously it is that's we get that the thing is is that evil is simply the corruption of the sacred and um and you know i believe in god i believe he has a design and order for our planet for our humanity and um and the thing is is that human sexuality is such a beautiful powerful thing when expressed in the proper context and um so that is important that we to say that we are fighting for something that was created and ordained by God for our good. Yes. And, um, and so it's not that we're sexual prudes or that, you know, everything was just this negative thinking about everything and and trying to, you know, manage people's, you know, sexual appetites or whatever. That's not the issue. The issue is that we have something that is so such an integral part of building a healthy long lasting relationship, community, family, um, it's, and, and to support, you know, people in a relationship and, um, and that thing is being twisted, polluted, robbed, distorted. And then we all pay the price for that Yeah, because like now we're all exposed. I mean, I, I look at, you know, pornography is everywhere. So in a sense, we're all being exposed to this global sexual orgy of the most deviant nature. And it is creating a corporately sexually traumatized planet. We're breathing that air. How is that not going to affect, you know, us in some way, shape or form. And so it's like, you know, if you, if we're, if you're like, 
you know, the secondhand smoking, right? You're, you're in a bowling alley. You can't get away from the stuff. I remember growing up as a kid, it was like, whoa, there's like smoke mm-hmm. everywhere. And then finally they outlawed it. They're like, get your smoke out of here. <laughs> you know, you're killing people with your, and, and, and like, I saw this thing on social media. There's a, there's a pipeline that was dumping sewage into the ocean. And at, you know, you could go save the dolphins and turtles and all that stuff. But at some point you got to turn off the sewage. And like, and so I, for me, like, it's just, it's, we're raising an alarm, but it's a hopeful message. It's like, guys, like we can have a better planet. We can turn off the sewage. We can turn off the secondhand smoke, you know, like get the stuff behind a paywall, <laughs> like for starters, you know, and then what's going on in the industry, eradicate the exploitation, stop letting 18 year olds straight out of high school, get lured into porn, like raise yeah. the age of consent to at least 21, but more likely 25. I mean, like yeah. you put some parameters for crying out loud. Like it, 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 so Mm. yeah, I can go on and on, but so good. (laughs) (laughs) I know I want to say amen too. I'm like, (laughs) so good. Yes. Yes. I I have nothing else to add to that. Like it was so good. So Jenna. (laughs) Yeah. So I heard that you had a dream about two different ships Mm, mm -hmm. and what was your interpretation of that dream? Yeah, I had a dream a couple of years ago, and in the dream, I was on a, I was on a ship, and it was like in like the 1800s. So it was like one of these old ships, and we were in a harbor, and we were heading out, and another ship was coming past us, and um, I was on a ship that was filled with people who were. Um, abolitionists and their faces were set like flint and they, they had a determined um, look on their face of battle tested and focused and ready for war. And, um, and as, and as we were going, this other ship passes us. And on this other ship, I was aware that this other ship represented the church. I was just aware of that in the dream. And on that ship, there were people who were feasting and banqueting and dancing and just kind of, you know, having a, a bit of a party. And, um, and as we passed the ship, something stirred in my spirit. And I just began to declare at the top of my lungs, I began to declare this, this phrase, um, a faith that does not act in the face of oppression is no faith at all. A faith that does not act in the face of oppression is no faith at all. I began to declare this over and over and I just felt it so passionately. And, um, and then I woke up from the dream and I like, you know, type in this phrase and it comes up as a quote from William Wilberforce. And it was a really interesting dream. And um, I, I felt that what the dream represented was um, similar to what was happening in Wilberforce's time. Um, it, in, in Wilberforce's time, uh, you know, the church was largely apathetic towards the issue of slavery and, and social injustice causes. And in some cases was promoting those things like down in the South here in the, in the U S that was a big thing. Um, and so Wilberforce arose at that time as a voice of conscience among the people in the same way that God raised up Nazarites in the Old Testament, people whose lives were uniquely consecrated 
so that they would be a source of conviction and conscious to the larger culture. And even in among the religious community, even among the believing community. And so um, for me, that, that dream was significant. I felt that God's um, pleasure with the abolition movement and this, um, and this idea that our faith, like the, the ultimate expression of our faith is fighting for the least of these, is having compassion on the, the vulnerable and on taking action on their behalf. And that's, I mean, that is actually all through scripture. So, but I also, you know, the fact that the church was past me, I feel like for me, it's a message also to the church of like, guys, this isn't just about, you know, our Sunday morning services and what programs, you know, the church had. It's, we're not about like creating a, you know, a Christian yacht club or whatever, you know, like it, it's, it, it's, we, we are put here by God to partner with him mm-hmm. in responding to the vulnerability of the vulnerable in our society. Um, and again, I mean, that's all through James, right? In James chapter one, he said, the apostle James said, pure and undefiled religion is ministry to orphans and widows in their trouble. So it's this idea, it's not about an orphan or a widow, it's about the vulnerable, the vulnerable, and the fact that they're in trouble. Why? Because we live on a predatory planet. So everywhere you see somebody who's being marginalized, you see, you know, um, whether by race or statelessness or gender or um, because they've been orphaned or whatever that situation is, they're vulnerable and they are going to be preyed upon. And so this is something that is so deep in the heart of God to partner with him in intervening on their behalf to bring a covering as an expression of God's covering. And in, in Proverbs chapter two, it says that God, that God guards the paths of justice. So this idea, this picture of God that he's looking over the balcony of heaven, he sees the injustice And he calls forth to raise up people, deliverers, abolitionists, people to partner with him in the work of guarding the paths of justice. And um, so, I mean, I could, from Genesis to Revelation, that message is clear. You know, in the Old Testament, they had 10 commandments and then they, then they turned them into hundreds, right? And, And then Jesus had to come again and be like, you guys got this all wrong. Like, and then he made it two commandments. And then what did we immediately do? We made it, it's whatever, how, what are all the, you know, I mean, hundreds of things that do, do this, don't do that. Love God, love people. It's that simple. (laughs) It's that simple. The way you love people is shown to us by Jesus in the story of the Good Samaritan. Here's this person who's been beaten, robbed, stripped naked and left for dead. And Jesus tells this story. The two religious leaders go by and pass by on the other side, just completely ignore them. Then, and these are the religious leaders who had the right title. They're part of the right group. They're, you know, they have the reputation, the buildings, all of that, right? Jesus uses them to show the inauthenticity of their faith. Yeah. Then a Samaritan comes by who's a part of the wrong group, the wrong title and the wrong doctrine. You know, he's the, 
you know, I don't know, Seventh Day Advent, or he's the Mormon, or he's the he's the Amish person, whatever, whoever we conceive of as having bad doctrine or something. That's the Samaritan. And he's like, this person went, ministered to them, had compassion on them, bandaged their wounds, did all these things. And then Jesus, is like, so which one? love their neighbor as a self. And, and of course, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious. And the point being is that the authenticity of our faith is expressed by our response to vulnerability. So that dream was really very polarizing for me to, I think, just become essentially more grounded in my own confidence that the, uh, of, that the work that we are doing is so important and gospel-centered cent- and, and, and knit deeply in the heart of God. And, um, and I think that, you know, for those of us that are fighting in this space, like you try to do this in human strength, which I've done many times, you just fall on your face. Like we can't, you can't do it. Humans are propensity, have a propensity towards lust and anger, and you're going to burn out by one or the other. Either you're going to get, you're going to get derailed in, in lust and, you know, being around something like this, or you're going to get derailed in bitterness and anger and resentment. Um, if you're not grounded spiritually. And so, um, so yeah, I just, I, I just have to come back to that again and again, and again, because like my fellow humans, I is a sheep <laughs> prone to weakness and I'll be like, I'm going to get back on my knees. And then all the next day I'll be out trying to fight in my own strength again. So it's just a place we have to come back to again and again and again. And those dreams are helpful to remind us of stuff like that. Wow. That's awesome. When you were sharing that dream, I, I, I got this imagery, right. And it's like, here's one boat and they're eating and they're drinking and they're being married, probably in rough waters. They don't even realize what's going on. Right. But then I saw them like come into the Harbor. Right. And what's a Harbor. It's a safe place away from all of that. It's, it's the shelter underneath the most high. And then when it's like, when you come out of that, right, when you encounter the love of God and you get his heart, you come out an abolitionist. And I feel like that that's, that's what's cool. happening in the end times, that's right? That's what's going to cool. happen is yeah, we're yeah, yeah. coming to the harbor. We're going to come out abolitionists screaming, yeah. you know, yeah. um, fight, you know, fight for those. Amen. Um, Amen. So, I, when I first learned about this issue in February of 2007, um, it was uh, just a couple weeks later that Amazing Grace, the movie came out about the life of William Wilberforce. And, um, and I felt, looking back on that, that it was a sovereign act of God, that he was going to raise up another Wilberforce-type abolition movement. And there are, and I'm seeing it all around. I mean, since, since it, and there, you know, you guys are, are carrying this mantle. I'm trying to carry this mantle. There are so many people now fighting around the world who are carrying this mantle in localized contexts on a national level, international. And it's just so encouraging to see that. It's so encouraging to see this movement taking shape and to know, man, like God's doing this and we get to be a part of it. And it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, this is what life is about. It's about serving. It's about helping. I mean, I see, you know, things on social media all the time. People So social media is just, our whole world's lying to us. I I wanted to do a post recently just saying everyone's lying to you (laughs) about everything. Politicians are lying to you. The media is lying to you. Social media is lying to you. Everybody's lying. (laughs) 
life is not this vain pleasure-seeking existence that is the quickest pathway to emptiness and self-destruction. Life is about serving. Yeah. <laughs> and the sooner you figure out that out, the quicker you begin to live a gratifying, fulfilling life. And I just know for myself that life's been hard. I mean, life's been hard growing up. Life's been hard. Like I've had so many challenges in, in my life, but it's this aspect of giving and serving and pouring out that continually feel, fills my cup. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful to be a part of, a part of what God's doing and a part of this movement with you all. Well, thank you. Oh, oh yeah. Thank you. Just yeah. want to say thanks. And I feel like it's a perfect time to just ask and wrap it up with, you know, going into 2022 people listening, people watching right now, like what are a few things that people can do, you know, just the average person, you know, mm-hmm. we're just average people, right. Mm-hmm. But just maybe some of the liber- uh, listeners, what are some things that they can do to help fight, uh, fight and end exploitation? We have to, we have to unify our voices together to really create the kind of pressure that can make a change. I mean, we started this trafficking hub campaign early in 2020, um, campaigning against the biggest porn site in the world. And by the end of that year, they deleted 80% of the videos on their website, removed the download button. I mean, the whole thing just, it was like, you know, if thinking of those ships, I mean, it was like a direct hit, right? It was a cannon, a, a massive cannonball of fire that blew half the ship off. It was like, and that ship is sinking now. And like, why? Because we united together our voices. We, we said, let's do a petition. Two million people united together in their voices to get that petition out. We released a short animated video. Video. 33 million people saw that. Why? Because everyone united together to spread that out. So the role that we're playing in this is, you know, we're in the trenches doing content creation. And it's, it's, it's just, it looks like being locked away in an editing cave for years at a time. And so we're playing one part of this where, you know, but what we need is for this larger body of people out there to unite with us when we begin to deploy these, these resources so that it can create the maximum pressure to, to create a tipping point and a, and a, and a flashpoint in our culture and to get lawmakers to act and, and government officials to act and for things to, for the change to be embedded in law and, and to protect our children for the future. So we have um, three docu-series coming out this year. I just encourage people to track with us on social media, Exodus Cry, and uh, and just to keep an ear out for, for what, what we're doing. We've got a new campaign we're launching. We're continuing to try to push this other campaign forward. We've got really powerful content coming out, um, and and I'm uh, releasing a book called um, "Raised on Porn" as well, which is a mm-hmm. robust resource on the subject um, that based in ten years of research. So, yeah, I think those are some you know some things we just we want we want to unite people together with us to to help get the message out, and that's the most important thing. 
Awesome. Everything else comes from that. So, yeah. Awesome. So good. So yes, listeners, definitely check out. Um, you can follow Exodus Cry on Instagram. Um, you know, of course, their uh, social media website. Um, you know, track track with what they're doing. Check out the current campaign, the coming campaign. Just want to thank you so much, um, Benji, for for joining us. Thank you. Whoa.